So would you take out your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. Guess you find us this December in a four-week series in Advent. This series in Advent um, celebrates the coming of our glorious Christ. In fact, the name of our series is All Hail the Glorious Christ because we acknowledge this Christ child that came. He is our King. He is not just some babe in in Bethlehem. He is our King. And we've named this series All Hail the Glorious Christ. You know, it's right for us as people to take time to slow down. And and this is what Sunday morning is for, especially a Sunday morning like this, to slow down from all the preparations, all the shopping, all the cooking, all the stuff that maybe even you like doing, but let's be honest, can be a huge distraction to us, right? Um, We're so consumed in this season by all the things that we have to do, all the gifts that we need to get, all the preparations that need to be made. And those are, those are fun, right? I'm not trying to put it down, but what it does is it causes our focus to be off of, often to be off of Christ. And, and this time as we gather, as the people of God, as we gather, uh, it's right that we take time to shine the spotlight on the glory of Christ and His coming. And in particular, as a pastoral team, what we want to do is draw attention to what Christ accomplished in coming at Christmas. So we're, we're seeking through this four-week series to answer the question, why did Christ come? In week one from Ephesians 2, uh, we answer that question. He came to raise the dead to life. Spiritually dead people, which was all of us before coming to Christ, he came to raise dead people to life. In week two, last week from Romans 6, we heard how uh, Christ came to justify, to make right with God, lost sinners. We heard and were reminded that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Christ came to justify lost sinners. And this morning, as we consider that same question, why did Christ come? Uh, we're returning to Ephesians 2 once more because there's more for us in this passage. And the answer that we'll see here in this passage is Christ came to sanctify us. In other words, he came to make a people But he came to make a holy people. He didn't just save us from our sins and then set us and leave us behind. No, he intends that we be shaped and molded to the character of his son. That we actually look like the one that we profess to love. And Christ came to sanctify his people. He he came to be our king. He came to be the one that we follow. The one that we love, the one that we pledge our allegiance to, he came to change our hearts totally and make us like God. Christ came to sanctify us. So we're going to read again from Ephesians chapter 2. If you haven't yet taken your copy of God's Word, do that. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, I'm reading from verses 1 through 10. As I read, I remind you that this is God's holy inspired, perfect word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, 
carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Father, now as we humble ourselves and place ourselves under the authority of your word, we pray that that you would speak to us, Lord, through your word. And Lord, we pray that you would open our hearts to such a degree that we would be shaped by your word. You have given us this word to guide us in all things and in fact to conform us to the image of Christ. So in these minutes that we have together now, Lord, do your shaping work as we submit our hearts to the truth of your word. We pray this together and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Christ came to sanctify a people for himself. But before he could make holy a people in regular practice, day-to-day living, before he could do that, he first needed to raise us to life. And, and this will be a, a brief review of verses 1 through 3 that we heard two weeks back. But it says, Paul, Paul makes clear, in fact, crystal clear, he says it a number of times, he says, you were dead in your trespasses and your sins. He said, you, you, you and, Prior to Christ, you, you missed the mark of God's holiness, just like Adam and Eve who, who trespassed what God had asked them to do. They, they were set in the garden with all this bounty, and he said, here's the one thing that you can't do, and what is the one thing that they do but do the very thing that God had asked. God had put a boundary up, and they trespassed that boundary, and through their sin, now we all are sinners. We all are are born into this world as those who are, in fact, dead in our sins. He goes on to describe what this looks like. He said, you were in bondage to sin. We were following the prince of the power of the air. That's a reference to the devil. We were children of disobedience toward God. We were, in fact, enemies with God. We weren't friends with God. We were enemies because of our flagrant disobedience. This is who we once were, dear friends. Prior to Christ, we were living in the passions of our flesh. 
We were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were interested to serve one person and one person alone, and that was ourselves. We had no heart for God. We didn't want Him. We simply lived for ourselves. And as a result of our enslavement to our own pleasures and our enslavement to sin, we were in actually in hostility toward God. We were hostile toward Him. He was king. He is king. But we said, no, no, no. I'm going to be the king of my heart and, and my life. We were in hostility to God. In fact, how does the Apostle Paul put it? He says this. We were children of wrath, meaning we deserved God's just and right punishment against the sins that we had committed. That's who we once were. We were, we were children of wrath. We were dead in our sins. We weren't looking for God. But then verse four happens. I, I would challenge you, by the way, to try to find in all of scripture a greater verse than verse four of Ephesians chapter two. Because verse four is, is the hinge on which all things turn. Verse four is this glorious news of what God came to do because it declares to us, but God being rich in mercy. And so here's where we're going to start. Point one this morning is Christ came to make us alive to God. We were dead in our transgression and our sins. We weren't in our, in our grave. We weren't reaching up toward God. No, we were dead in our sins. But God, verse four, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Let me pause there and remind you this morning. Uh, I may not know you, I may not know the situation that surrounds you, but you are loved, deeply loved by God. That's what it says. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. We were dead toward God, but God has made us alive. And I want to take some time this morning to think about what does it mean to be made alive in God. See, see, Jesus Christ came to earth to live a, a perfect life, the life that we never could, a sinless life. And then he, in his death, he took upon himself the wrath of God that we deserve so that by his death, by faith in Christ, we might have the forgiveness of our sins. And Jesus Christ came to, to bring us, literally to usher us to God himself. And now as redeemed people, if you are a Christian this morning, you know God. And that's an amazing reality. In his book uh, entitled Knowing God by J.I. Packer, uh, he illustrates the joy of knowing God in this way. He says, imagine for a moment that you got a letter from the Oval Office inviting you to meet the president. I'm, I'm not quoting him. I'm just paraphrasing what he's saying. Now, regardless of your opinion of the current president, right? Okay. That, that's not the point of the illustration. So if it helps you in this illustration, because I'm going to talk about the president for a moment, put in your favorite president, whoever it might be. Okay. Uh, real or imagined your favorite president in the, in the Oval Office. Imagine you got a letter. From the, from the president, from the Oval Office, inviting you to come to the White House. You get there, the president rolls out the red carpet for you. You're like, what? He brings you into the Oval Office, 
And he not only talks with you, but he asks questions about you. He wants to know more about you. In fact, he invites you into his own heart, into the concerns and the, the, the initiatives that he's planning for the good of people. And he, he hears you talk and he, he wants to involve you in his initiatives for the good of people. He, he invites you to participate in, in a critical way in the operations of all things. And you walk out of there, he, he says, hey, I want to have regular communication with you. I want you to be an ally for me. I want you to be my friend. Now, let me ask you, if that happened to you, how would you walk out of there? You'd be like, yeah, I'm friends with the president. You know, no big deal. No, it would, it would radically change the sense of your life because now you, I mean, you're important. You're, 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 you're a councilman or councilwoman to one of the most significant roles in the entire history of the course of the world. The most powerful man in the world. You are an advisor to him. You are a friend to him. It would change the course and trajectory of your life. You wouldn't walk around the same way as when you came in. Now, Packer goes on to say, Jesus didn't come to usher us to know some president i mean how many presidents have we have have we had in the history of like what what is a president who he's a mere man what is any leader they are mere people in the world christ has come to usher you and to bring you to god when we say we know god christ came to usher us to God himself. The one who created it all. The one who, who has existed for all eternity. That's who we know through the coming of Christ. The very one who spoke and all things were. We know him by faith. And so when Paul is writing to these dear people in this church in Ephesus. People just like you and verse me and, and me in verse 4. He says... But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. Look at those next phrases. That's where I want to focus. Made us alive together with Christ. God, through Christ, has made us alive to him. Now we know God. We walk with God. We have fellowship with God. I mean, it'd be pretty cool to know the president of the United States. But doesn't it absolutely pale in comparison to like, yeah, I can know the president or I can know God who holds all things in his hands. Who sits this morning sovereignly on his throne, ruling and reigning over all things. Yeah, we could know a president, but we get to know God. Christ has made us alive to God. That's what he's saying. This is why Christ came to make us alive to God. So let me ask the question. What does it mean to be alive to God? Two things I want to point out here uh, very briefly. Um, to be alive to God is to now have a heart that loves the things that God loves, right? To be alive to God means, we read it two weeks ago, that God puts a new heart. He takes out this stony heart that we once had and replaces it with a heart that beats for God. So the things that God loves 
are now important to us. Whereas before we didn't really care about them because we were only caring for ourselves. Now, with a new heart, having been born again by the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, we have been given a new heart. We love the things that God loves. We want to do the things that God calls us to do. We want to, as we heard this morning, we want to share the hope that we have with other people because we've been given a new heart. That's what it means to be made alive in God, that we now have a new heart and it beats for something different than ourselves. This is the great work of Christ. He gives us a new heart. And so what God loves now, we love. And what are the things that God loves He loves righteousness. He loves purity. He loves truthfulness. Every time we come to his word, we'll never find something that's not true here. He loves truthfulness. He loves purity. He loves patience. He loves grace. He is a God of mercy. And when we have a new heart, then then we're going to see those kind of things come out of us we're going to love the thing that God loves and and we're going to hate the things that God hates we'll get to that in a minute but our hearts have been changed we have we have tasted and seen that that God is good think back to the day if you can remember a time when doesn't always happen this for every person but can you think back to the time when you you finally understood that That you were dead in your sins and that God would be right to judge you for your sins. But then you knew that that Jesus came for you and he died for you. And he was resurrected in God's power as a a seal of God's acceptance of Christ's sacrifice. And and you knew it and you believed it and there was joy in your heart. Remember that time. You've tasted and you've seen that the Lord is good. And so you live your life now with joy because he's made your heart different. In fact, he's completely changed your heart. God making us alive in Christ, for Christ, he makes us a different person. So what does it mean to be alive to God? It means to have our hearts changed so that we love what God loves. It also means to be dead to sin. It means to be dead to sin. Sin no longer is our master. We no longer live under the sway of sin. We now have mastery over sin because Christ broke the power of sin at the cross. Christ rendered it and took out the teeth of sin. He rendered it done at the cross. I want to quote from another place the Apostle Paul is writing just to encourage you in this church. This is the Apostle Paul. He says, so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul here is talking about in Ephesus, he's talking about Christ has made your hearts alive to God. Well, Paul's saying the same thing in Romans. He said, you've died to sin. If you're in Christ, you have died to sin. And therefore the power of sin has been broken in the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God that, that no longer do you or I have to be, have to be controlled by the passions of our flesh, the passions of our desires, which once, Paul says here, we were, we were following the course of the world. We were just doing as everyone else did. 
But God, because of his great mercy and his great love for us, he broke that power at the cross so that when we receive him, we are now, we've died with him. We're dead to sin and sin is dead to us. The power of sin has been broken at the cross. Praise the Lord. The penalty of sin has been taken care of at the cross. We are now free people. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you in this, dear church. That means something for the current struggles that you may have day by day. It means that Christ, through the indwelling of the Spirit, Christ has given you the power to resist sin of any form. Amen. No longer are we slaves. No longer are we bound to sin because we are dead to sin in the Lord. When God made our hearts alive to him... He pronounced our sin dead. Now, that doesn't mean that sin no longer has temptation in our hearts, that that we're not affected. But it does mean that we now have power to resist it and power to walk the other way. That's what it means to be dead to sin. And Paul is reminding these dear Ephesian people and this dear church, just people just like you and me, who are uh, perhaps at times struggling with different things. He's saying God made you alive to him. So remember that. Remember that you were once dead. You're no longer dead to God. You're alive to God. What you are dead to is sin. The power of sin has been broken. And so we want to be encouraged this morning that God has made this power alive, which leads us right now into the second point, and that is this. Christ came to make us Holy. Where do I see that here? I see that in verse 10. Would you look there with me for a moment? It's a very important verse at the end of what Paul is saying. He says this, for we are, he talks about who we once were, dead in sin. Now we are his workmanship. We're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should Walk in them. So when God saves a people for himself, he does. He, he, he brings his people together. He also sets us apart uh, as holy people. Now that doesn't mean, you know, we walk around like holy man coming through. No, it means that again, our desires are changed. We, we are not looking to sin. We are looking to walk in all the promises that God has for us. Because our eyes have been opened to see that sin never delivers on any one of its promises. It never delivers, right? And therefore, we're going to walk in the promise of God. So, dear brother or sister, can I remind you of, of one thing that this, this word tells us? One of the main things that God's objective for you in your life right now is to make you progressively holy. Is to make you progressively like Jesus Christ. You've heard the expression, we become what we behold, right? Have you heard that expression? We become what we behold. We are together, church. We are beholding Christ. And as we behold Christ, we become more like him. That is God's intention for us. This is why Jesus came, to make you alive to the Lord and then to sanctify you, to refine you, to make you like himself. To give you holy desires. To grant to you holy ambitions. To grant to you holy joy 
as you walk out your life in the Lord. See, God, it, this verse tells us that God prepared those things for us. So that means that this is his intention for our lives, that God has prepared works for you and I to do. Now, when we use the word works, it's, it's not that we're somehow paying God back or, or we're trying to earn our salvation through doing good things. No, this rather is the fruit of the new heart that he's given to us. It just comes out of us. We want to be helpful to others. We want to walk in the good things that God has prepared for us. God saves a people for himself and then he sanctifies a people for himself. Listen to the Apostle Paul as he makes this point. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be what? To be conformed to the image of his son. This is God's will for you. If you are a believer this morning, you are to be conformed to the image of his son. Now think about that word conformed for a moment. It, it sounds to me like an action word. It sounds to me like this is a word that has ongoing work in our hearts. Being conformed sounds to me like it's a process. It sounds to me like though we once looked one way after being conformed over time, now we take the shape of another. And that expressly speaks to the process of sanctification that God uses to make us more like Jesus Christ. Tomorrow morning when you get up, as you read the word of God, as it, as it washes over you, as, as you, you drink in its truth, do you know what's happening when you're reading the word of God in the morning? What's happening is that God is changing you. He is conforming the image of your character to the, the person of Christ. He is using the word of God, this eternal truth, to, to shape your passions and your desires after him. That's why we read the word day by day. It's a process God uses to shape us to himself. See, whereas we are justified in one single moment when we believe we're justified, all of our sins are forever forgiven, sanctification is a lifelong process of God shaping us into the image of his son. He came to sanctify his people. See, the way that you and I live, the decisions that you and I make in a day-to-day -day way, they matter so much to God. Because either we are living for the glory of God or we are living for ourselves. There's no like middle ground like, yeah, today I think I'm going to play it neutral. Yeah, I don't want to necessarily sin, but I don't necessarily want to do what God wants. There's, there's no ability to do that. Either we're living for the glory of Christ or we're living for ourselves and God intends that as his people, we are refined by him. Listen to Paul's prayer for the Philippian church. He says this, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve of what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now keep that verse, if you would, on, on the screen for a few moments. Do you see the trajectory of growth? Paul is envisioning the people of God. Hey, here's, here's my, my God ordained prayer for you. 
Here's, here's the trajectory. That, that love in your life, that love is abounding. That's what he says. It's my prayer that you, your love may abound more and more. That knowledge and discernment is, is growing. That the approval of excellent things is expanding. That purity and blamelessness is increasing. That, that fruit-bearing righteousness that, that, that comes out of your heart because you know God. That, that, that fruit-bearing righteousness is rising in you. And who is it that's receiving the praise through our lives? It's God is. We grow in these things to the glory and praise of the Lord. See, God came in Jesus Christ not just to, to justify people, praise God that he did that, but he came to also sanctify his people that we might walk in a manner that pleases him, that we might reflect him. That Here's the thing. When you have... 10 minutes with someone, what are they getting in those 10 minutes with you? Are, are, they, are they sensing the aroma of Christ in your heart? That's what God wants, that, that when we interact, when we serve with one another, that, that there's this aroma that, that flows out of our hearts. This past week we had uh, some dear folks over to our house and um, in preparation Jules was like, Jared, you need to go to the store and get cider and we're going to make a, what is it called? Wassel. A wassel. And I was like, what's the point of this? Who's going to drink that? Well, apparently everyone. Um, but, you know, as this thing is cooking uh, for about an hour, uh, as the, the wassel is in with the cider, I, I walk back into the house and, you know, you couldn't escape the aroma in the house. It, it was glorious. It was glorious. You couldn't escape it. I'm asking you, is it your desire? Is it your heart this morning to have the aroma of your life be something that people can see Christ in? Is that what you desire? In fact, is, is that what you're orienting your life toward? That, you know, I, I want people to see Christ in me. Not so they say, oh, what a good Christian man or woman. Or, no, so that they are drawn to Christ. This is why Christ came, to redeem a people, but then to purify in an increasing way the people that, that Christ might be seen in us. That they might see in us the hope of glory. Um, this week we're just, um, I know a number of you are doing these kinds of things. Uh, I know the patents are in their neighborhood. We're, we're doing it. I've heard others of you. But we're throwing our house wide open for our neighborhood to come and, and just be with us on Wednesday night. Why are we doing that? It's not to be some super Christian. But we do want the aroma of Christ to be, to be felt and experienced in our neighborhood. So I hope all of our neighbors come. We have 12 houses. And what we want to do is just love them and serve them and be the aroma of Christ to people around us. Dear friends, this is why God saved us, that that that, that aroma could just come out of us. That people would see Jesus in us by the way that we love them by the way that we care about them. Because 
What has God done for us? He's been the one that initiated his love for us. We weren't the ones that said, hey, God, I want to be friends with you. No, God took the initiative to come to us. And through God's initiative, now we know him and love him. And he's given us a pattern in that to follow, that we could take the initiative toward others and and bring them to Christ as well and just say, listen, can I tell you about the greatest thing that's ever happened to me is meeting Christ That's the prayer of God for his people, that we would be shaped and conformed to his image so that the aroma of our hearts and our lives are such that people see Jesus in us. Now, one other exciting thing that's true of the work of sanctification that God does in our hearts is that he initiated Christ's coming, initiated the the new work of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, people who believe in Jesus Christ for their salvation, when, when we believe in him, the Holy Spirit indwells the believer, so we have the power of God himself living in our hearts. Isn't that encouraging? That God himself is, is taking up residence in our hearts, and, and the Holy Spirit is our helper, so that when we are weak, and we all are weak, we all are, when we are weak, the Spirit is in us to help us. And to encourage us and to call to mind truths about who God is and what he's like so that we can walk on together. We can, we can actively seek to live for the Lord and for his glory. He gives us the help of the Holy Spirit. So, so God made us alive to him and he made us alive and gave us the help of the Holy Spirit so that you and I can walk together in Christ-likeness. He ushered in this new era of the work of the Spirit so that now we have the help of the Spirit. See, God would never call you to something that he's not going to equip you to be able to do. And and finally, to very much encourage you. Because I I know that there are folks in this room, including myself, that sometimes the struggle with particular sins that we, we can find besetting to us. Sometimes I get so frustrated with myself, do you not, when you fall into patterns that you just don't want to fall into. Well, and we can become discouraged, can't we? It's like, boy, I thought I'd have the power to to overcome. Brother, sister, you do have power because the Holy Spirit lives in you, but sometimes we forget it. And so I just want to encourage you as we draw our time to a close here, listen to what Paul says finally to the Philippian church. He says, and I am sure of this. I'm confident of this. I know this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So God is far more committed to making you holy in your daily life than even you are. When you fall flat, when you get tired, when you grow weary, God is doing the work. He is carrying you along even when you can't see it or don't feel it. Be encouraged, friends. We can be sure of this. That he who began that work, if if God made you alive, he's not going to drop you off at somewhere along the path. He's going to carry you to completion, friends. He's going to carry you. He's going to make it happen. Even when you can't see it. Sometimes we get lost in the fog of war. 
Sometimes we lose our way and we're, we're disoriented and, and in our struggles with sin, we can be just flatly discouraged. We can forget that God has committed himself to carrying you home to that celestial shore. He's committed himself to it. So don't grow weary, dear friends, in pressing on. Don't grow weary in taking captive those thoughts for the glory of God. Don't grow weary in saying, Lord, you have made me alive to you, so I am dead to this. And I'm going to claim that this morning and say, Lord, help me to walk in the victory that you secured for me at Calvary. Lord, I'm going to take that this morning and I'm going to walk in that because God has committed himself to carrying you all the way. I am sure of this. Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He's got good works for you. He's prepared them in advance. He's changed your heart. He's given you a new vision for life. It's not to live for yourself, but to live for the glory of God. He's he's prepared things for you, dear church, that we would walk in them. Now, as we walk in them, be encouraged and strengthened that he who began a good work, he's never going to give up on you. Praise the Lord. Yes, he never gives up. He never gives up. We're going to sing in a moment as our closing song, uh, a song that reminds us of this newborn king. Christ has come into the world as this newborn king. He, he's been a king all along, but he's just coming in a, in a way that we could see him and perceive him. He's come as our king. That means if you are the subject of the king, if you are a friend of the king, that you mean, that means you do what the king says. And our king is a benevolent king. Our king is a good king. He's come to bring life and righteousness and goodness to us. And so as we now submit our hearts and our hands to our living king, may the Lord sanctify us, right? May the Lord make us able to be pure. And by the way, when the Lord brings conviction in any particular area of your life, when you're convicted about perhaps a sin that you've committed, dear friends, embrace that conviction and repent of that sin because then what you can do is just apply the gospel to your heart all over again. Lord, if my acceptance was upon my performance, I would be totally lost. But my acceptance before you is not dependent on my performance this morning. My acceptance before you is because Christ died for my sin and I believe it and I'm applying that to my life now. So Lord, help me now to walk in this way of life. Help me now. God, help me to walk under King Jesus as I submit my heart to him. This is God's intention for us, church, to make a holy people. A people for his own possession. You are a royal nation. A holy priesthood. A people set apart for God alone. This is why Christ came. He came to redeem you. And he came to make us a holy people. Would you stand with me now as we close? Lord, in this Advent season, we rejoice that, that Christ has come. 
We sing to this newborn king, this, this one who has existed for all time, but came and humbled himself and, and took on flesh so that we could see him and interact with him and experience his care for us even as he brings us to you. Christ came to bring us to God. Lord, thank you that, that Christ didn't come to introdu- introduce us to some president. He didn't come to help us meet some famous person. He came so that we would know you and be loved by you. You are our great king. All of your commands, what do they do? They lead us to life. It's the very opposite of who we once were. We were drowning in our death, but you came to give us life. And you came to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. So now we say, Lord, our hands are open to you. They're open. Use our lives, Lord, as as you see fit and shave the rough edges of our hearts, Lord. To use the biblical term, conform us, Lord, to the image of your Son. And Lord, even when we fail in that, remind us of this truth that we can be absolutely sure of. That he who began a good work in us will be faithful. Even when we're not faithful, you'll be faithful to complete it, Lord. And so encourage our hearts today. Strengthen us. Give us hope. Because this is why Christ came. To bring to himself a people for his own possession. To the glory and praise of Christ. Lord, make us into his image, whom we love. We pray this together, and all God's people said, amen.